Major League Baseball is finally back. As the new season gets underway, the Ringer Podcast Network has baseball fans covered with the Ringer MLB show playing exclusively on the TuneIn app for the month of April. On top of that, the Ringer Podcast Network has partnered with TuneIn to give baseball fans a free 30-day trial of TuneIn Premium to listen to every live home call from every MLB game around the league. Catch the Ringer MLB show only on TuneIn during April, and with your premium subscription, listen live to MLB games on TuneIn. Just go to TuneIn.com slash Ringer and subscribe, download the TuneIn app, and start listening today. TuneIn, your everything audio app. Sports have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio is my favorite Elvis impersonator. It's Andy Greenwald! Is that a Big Little Lies ref? It's a deep Big Little Lies ref wow. to the finale. And since Andy is not, shall we say, a viewer of Big Little Lies. You could put it that way. But we couldn't not talk about it. No, nor did I want to not Queen talk about Reese it. Queen Reese demands it. We brought in our buddy Allison Herman. Hi, Allison. Hey, I'm, I'm so honored. I was here for the intro. I got to hear the yell. That's how you, right. How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm feeling great. I'm feeling like I'm witnessing Shook. history. That's right. <laughs> uh, uh, can I say, can I just jump in here and let's, say one quick thing? Let's put the disclaimer up front. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I'm, I guess I botched it. No, um, no, no, no. This no, is let, an experiment. Let me have this. In how, how do we cover Chris? TV now? Chris? Is TV necessary I, to cover TV? I, I pushed the limits of that already. <laughs> let me just say, you know, I watched. With the rest of America, I watched the first episode of Big Little Lies. Unlike, apparently, large swaths of America, I tapped out, said, nope, not for me. I guess I was wrong. I can admit that. People seem delighted by the show. They seem to love it. Guys, the think piece furnace is just just burning on this one. I've seen really interesting takes that I could not possibly have seen the bones of in the show that I saw. But that's interesting. And I am thrilled that we're going to cover it. And I just, I'm just here to learn. I'm just here to observe. Um... You can spoil the show for me. Okay, so we can't spoil the show for you. That would be a really awkward way to discuss the finale. You guys, just don't tell, tell me Andy, but tell me <laughs> all Zoe Kravitz lies. sings in the finale. Tell me all, all, all the Adam lies. Scott shaves his beard. <laughs> that <laughs> was shocking. That was the biggest twist of the finale. That was the biggest twist. I think I called really the murder. Yeah. Are you like, kidding? I called the murder like six weeks ago. That was like out of nowhere. He literally steps out of a limo. He's in a Hawaiian shirt because it's an Elvis and Audrey Hepburn themed fundraiser, which really Go doesn't on. make any sense, but let's just roll with it. It just occurs to me that when you talk about, like if you watch one episode of a television show and then you don't watch the rest of it. And then write an article about it for And then you listen Grantland. to two other people <laughs> discussing the like yeah. vagaries of that show. It must sound completely insane. It sounds like, like you're talking about a dream. Like the like entire, you know that the end of the show is basically, it's basically based on an Elvis impersonator talent show where the women dress like Audrey Hepburn and the men dress like Elvis. Do we yeah, get... our colleague uh, Sean Fennessy was trying to sort of fact check the theme and was like, it's called Trivia Night, but there was no trivia. And I was like, someone <laughs> literally gets murdered in an Elvis costume. I don't think we need to fact check the theme. Do we get... Cl- Here are my questions before we get into it. Oh, sure, yeah. really, let's make this about someone who hasn't watched the show. This <laughs> yeah. is podcast gold. Do we get closure on Alexander Sarsgaard's urethra? Uh, in a way, yeah. Do we? He won't we be We get the ultimate closure. Would <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you just spoil the show? Is, that, is he the dead one? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I predicted Harry that. Harry dead. You predicted that? Well, it seemed like it was headed that way in the one hour of the show I watched. Well, I would have been more what, surprised if it was someone else. It, it's funny because like at the end of, uh, so say like around week four is when you started to get the the who's who is the victim and who is the murderer in Big Little Lies, uh, you know, 
investigations online, which you get with pretty much any show that has a murder in it, whether it's Night Of or Riverdale mm-hmm. or whatever. And you start to get these like online sleuthing things. Mm-hmm. But that was actually like it, almost the least interesting part about this show is the sort of like the show it. thought it was the least yeah. imp- interesting thing smart. about this show. I mean, that was what I was kind of impressed about the finale was as the show went on, the Greek chorus framing device kind of gets tired because you don't really need these people's pithy one-liners to make like Nicole Kidman's therapy scenes interesting. And in fact, they could almost be like jarring once the show started to take on real emotional heft. And then you got shout out to Dr. Amanda Reisman. (laughs) That's Nicole Kidman's therapist. Robin Weigert of Deadwood fame. Oh, wow. You guys don't need to sell me. (laughs) I was was wrong. I'm fine. I'm admitting it. Allison, so you wrote about the finale, and you uh, obviously you, you were like, this finale did what it said on the package. It like it like for for all of, to, to use the parlance of our TV watching time, it stuck the landing. Um, did you have any issues with the finale, or were, were you pretty much like completely satisfied with it? I didn't really have any issues with the finale. I think my main issue was that kind of uh, cognitive dissonance that lasted for the middle stretch of the show where suddenly like, you would remember, oh, right, I guess there's a dead body waiting at the end of this rainbow. Right. Like, I don't really want to think or I'm not thinking about that because the show is not really prompting me to because you're much more invested in these not life or death stakes. Like, you know they take that on, but you don't need that extra enhancement of someone's going to die. Like, yeah. I was much more yeah. interested in Madeline's love life and interior life than I was in the Reese Witherspoon character's, like, love life, like, in her psychological state than I was in, like, who killed who and what happens at the end. Um, it's funny, you know, watching this and then watching Girls right after last night, you know, we know that Big Little Lies is a... Um, is a limited series so that was, was like the last episode ever at least in this iteration i can see them going back to the liam moriarty well at some point um and then also watching girls you kind of get this feeling sometimes as these shows wind down where you're like all of a sudden you're like every moment counts and you get very second guessy about what they're choosing to spend among their last mm-hmm. 80 minutes of screen time on. And there have and been a lot of questions about yeah. girls, yeah. And then girl stuff, I was just like, is this really what we're doing? Like this mm-hmm. like this Ray love story? And and then on Big Little Lies, uh, my only complaint about the finale, although it did serve a purpose to like build some tension, was the 15 minutes that they dedicated to performances of Elvis Presley classics. And the world's <laughs> least convincing dub. Yeah, which is, which Jean-Marc Vallée was just like, oh, Adam Scott just can't, like in the next day interview on Vulture, he's just like, oh, that guy can't sing. Like, it's not even though, right? Like, I, read, I saw that on the internet. He today. may have yeah. tried, so to, tried to Zoe do Zoe Kravitz it. sings, and it's actually Zoe Kravitz because obviously yeah. she has inherited musical ability. Yes. Uh, and then... Adam Scott pulls up and he opens his mouth and the voice that comes out is just so patently not Adam Scott. Yeah, it's like in Ferris Bueller when Matthew Broderick does twist and shout and they're just yeah. like, yeah, Ferris, like you're also, killing it. that's just definitely how parades work and <laughs> yeah, have always right. works. That, that, that was, even as an eight-year-old or nine-year-old, I, I bumped on that. Oh, I see. I, I thought like, that was the coolest thing I had ever seen when I saw too, that. But I was like, I don't think you could do that. For some reason, everything else in the movie, I was like, this is gospel. Like, absolutely, this could all happen in one day. Just right. the, the timeline checks out, but could you really wear a vest on a parade float like that? I don't think so. But they they did do they spun their wheels in this finale more than I thought they were. Not in a way that was like did anything to take away from my estimation of the show. But I just was like, man, like you guys are like it was not a supersized episode. It was just sixty minutes, and that they were still like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of shots of people gossiping at a dinner party. I actually did think of the one main issue I had with the finale, which is it almost had to be too neat in that. Um, so Shailene Woodley's 
child is the product of a rape yeah. and she's made some efforts towards finding her rapist but I kind of thought this was going to be more of a trauma recovery narrative and they just had to make the person who was also abusing Nicole Kidman also be her rapist um, oh. which was just a yeah. little Sorry, which is a bad look for Tarzan yeah oh yeah wow I mean he <laughs> I'm terrified of Alexander Skarsgård yeah. now but he who, really who, did that who 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 X'd him out uh, Bonnie, uh, Zoe, Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz. Wow. Yeah, I would. But never it was a group that. effort. Like he was attacking Nicole Kidman. They're all yeah. fighting back against him because they are all standing in a group when this happens. But it's, like, it's like the end of an X Men movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is like the end of an X Men movie. Um, here's 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 my question, and specifically it's for Allison. In your role as TV critic, um, we all know what Chris's role is, and it's not relevant <laughs> to, this, to this conversation whatsoever. Um, is this an example of? Um, like just the amount of choice that I have is almost too much right now and that for all of us as TV viewers but particularly and maybe I'm abusing it because now I don't have to watch everything anymore and I'm really pushing the limits of that but what I'm saying is this there are things that you're describing this is in the show fair question to ask her. no no but I'm asking what I'm asking Why is don't this I watch this no, 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 that's not who... the question that's not the okay. question I'm still has to watch her. all the TV yeah I want to know your thoughts on this because there are things that I've heard about Big Little Lies that I find appealing I think Reese Witherspoon is a goddess. You fucking love wine. I love wine. I love the California coast. Yeah. I like Adam Scott. I like pretty much a lot of the things here. But when I saw the first episode, I was like, nah, I can't. The ratio is not working for me of this recipe, meaning all the things that I don't like are canceling out the potential things that I do like here. And it wasn't mm -hmm. enough to get me on board. What is your personal calculus in terms of, okay, 30% don't like, 70% like, were you were you bringing that sort of ratio to a show like this, or am I just spoiled? Am I a spoiled baby? And was like, I don't like it, and I walked away. I mean, I bring I do bring that ratio to shows. This one was more like eighty percent of what I like, and then twenty percent David Kelly's dialogue. Yeah. So, right? which I can admit, I mean, I think there was also the it scene in the on finale. Goliath, but on this, there's a scene in the finale where uh, Reese Witherspoon has a confrontation with the guy she used to have an affair with, and you can really tell that like one of the people delivering dialogue in this scene is not Reese Witherspoon, and therefore cannot spin this into gold. Like yeah. It, yeah. it really shows. But, I mean, this show in particular, I got six episodes. I just raced through all of them. And also, it's anecdotally, like, one of the only shows I can think of in 2017 that actually broke through the peak TV. Like, everyone yes. I know was watching this. This is why I feel like I... That's really what I mean when I say I blew it. Because it seemed like a lot of fun. That you don't know when the ride's leaving the station if it's going to be fun or not. I'm, I'm still looking at it like, it's just another thing to be a part... You know, yeah. It was also, like, the way that it was... Um, you know, I, I have to say, like, watching it with my wife was actually really cool because she reacted to it in a, in a, reacted to it in a way that was so enthusiastic that it was almost like, it was very contagious. Like, we'll often have things where I'm like, we have to watch this like dark, like the raid, like nor Norwegian noir move show, yeah. and she'll just be like, this dead child, and I'm like, yeah, and then like, it's weird. But this was one where I was like, you know, if given if I had to, if I had no professional obligation and yeah. no. Uh, like familial obligation to watch it. I may have stopped watching it at some point, but I really got caught up in it partially because I think there there was such an intoxicating mixture of really good soapy melodrama mm -hmm. with a kind of prestige TV execution along with like incredibly high level movie star acting. Yeah. Yeah. And 90% of the time when I try to tell people about a TV show, the reaction I get is like, okay, I'll add it to the list. Right. Like yeah. it's just this look of resignation washes over people's faces. And this is 
the only show in the last like six months that I can remember people were coming to me and being like, oh my God, big little, like, did you see what happened this week? Did you like, what character are you? And just to see other people get so engaged in this conversation that I am stranded in most yeah. of the time was really an, like a uh, do fun you think How much of that do you think is chalked, can be chalked up to the like star wattage? I'd say most of it, except it's so interesting that we've kind of agreed that at the movies, the movie star is dead. There's no such thing as a lock yeah, for and anyone. Many of these women mm-hmm. on their own probably couldn't have like the number one. I mean, Reese, it's Reese is probably the closest you have there, but even Reese wouldn't be a guarantee this is the number one movie in America if you put her in something. Yeah, and I guess it's sort of changing the channel is a much lower burden sure. than shelling out and leaving your house. But it was interesting to see that, you know, these people may not be box office guarantees in the way the, a brand name like Fast and the Furious is, but it got people there, and then uh, I think the writing and directing helped, and the acting as a package helped keep I, them there. I think, um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, because my feeling is, as someone, just to be clear, who has not watched the television show, <laughs> what it means for the industry going forward, I think, is pretty interesting. I, I think- know, you know, Andy's going to start a podcast called Big Little Lies and Game of Thrones Books. <laughs> I, if we could just make a career out of doing stuff that I don't have to watch, I think that's a win for me. I don't know if it's a win for anyone else, but this does seem to be um, in a like a platonic ideal for what HBO can do and maybe should do yeah. because they can yeah. attract the biggest names, they can package the hell out of these things, and you know find the material that is engaging on a week to week level. And obviously, the old. The old conversations about, well, you know, why invest all this if there's not going to be season two can fall by the wayside if you have the ability to get another um, gripping piece of IP, as they say, and just cast it up like this. I mean, just today they announced the series order on the Jillian Flynn, Sharp Amy Objects, Adams, yeah. Sharp Objects, which right. has been unofficially in yeah. like locked is up Valet for a while. Is directing that too? I think so, yeah. So one of the things that I think was actually like secretly incredibly useful for this show is, uh, you know, one, one, you watch Laura Dern, you watch Nicole Kidman, you watch Reese Witherspoon, you have this uh, cultural memory of what, what else they've done in the past. But I don't think I've actually seen, with the exception of Wild, which Valet also directed, one of the things I really enjoyed about Big Little Lies is that apparently he shoots with multiple cameras mm-hmm. with available light and that it's pretty much shot um, not even as a play, but almost as a documentary. Like when they're doing these these scenes, they basically go from from front to back through the scene. They don't stop. It's, it's Friday Night Light style too. Yeah, it's Friday like Night Light style. You rotate around the action, and it was incredible. It was intoxicating almost to see somebody who you're used to with Reese Witherspoon who has this incredibly, you know, first I, I adore her, but a very manicured and managed image to be in the wild, for lack of a better term, and to watch her kind of like not to be in wild, because but she to was in see that her too. walk in and out of rooms, or to see her like at a coffee shop and like going and ordering something and then coming back to the table and then like getting flustered about something else and like in like real location and in, in almost in real time like to watch her like go through a process rather than just be like this is like this very tight scenario that Reese Witherspoon gets her close up and then she's going to say this and then you know Owen Wilson will say this back to her on the over shoulder shot the it felt very different than say even like coming off of the last big HBO show Westworld which is very Static and very pristine and very like placid on its face, you know, and very bad. Well, <laughs> but that's my point. Is that it, I was actually very excited to have like this visually different. It was like it was mm. different. It was like a like a splash of like soda water to the face or something. Yeah, and it's funny. Like when we think of 
a tour director on tours on TV, we think of Soderbergh or Kerry Fukunaga, yeah. and this is absolutely distinct, but so different from what yeah. we associate a pretty TV show with being at this point. Or even like Fincher, like we associate it with this kind of pulpy, crimey. One of the things that fascinates me about this series is that it kind of takes the same blueprint as the rest of T Prestige yeah. TV, which is let's just take this very narrow genre that's usually considered unserious and just totally plumb it for whatever we can find because we're interested in it. But it it takes that and does it with chiclet, basically. Yeah. Like, it just it takes the same approach to something that we had not previously considered as part of the same category, mostly through our own blind spots. Which I think I, which I will cop to. I think that one of the tricks of a series, particularly in this era where people are saying, and this has been a debate online recently, and one I have a very strong opinion on this debate of like, well, it's not a TV show; it's an eight-hour movie. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> in that, when you're when you're delivering material week by week, which I'm a fan of, and I'm a fan of the episode as an individual thing, it sometimes takes a minute to understand the intention of the filmmakers, and that's fine. That happens in movies too. Um, you don't know whether they are doing the thing, commenting on the thing, or having a smart take on the thing. And I think a lot of my resistance to the first episode of Big Little Lies is it ticked a lot of the boxes that I'm still tender in from the slap. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I, I, I have... I I have triggers like I private school I guess it was a public school thing but like rich people with their kids and treating the kids badly and this that's sort of like cabal um like social cabal thing like based around a school and or a murder like I I I'm usually out on that and it sounds like what they were doing I think what you were just describing Allison sounds very interesting and very compelling and very smart on a number of levels and I was not ready to trust the people involved to take me there <laughs> You know, I was like, this is just going to be the flat thing. I didn't understand that maybe they were going to push it in a more interesting direction. I think the thing that makes it that you kind of needed to hold out a little longer to see the full extent of is the Nicole Kidman subplot about yes. physical abuse because they treat that <clears throat> totally with the drama and understanding and empathy it deserves. They do the same thing sort of with Reese Witherspoon while also being totally conscious of the comedy of that character. Right. So it preserves just enough of like the frivolity and the fun of a soap opera that you enjoy watching it and then it just slowly expands it into a really interesting, really textured the other, thing to watch. The, the, and the thing that, you know, it's funny that you should mention the movies, that is this an eight-hour movie or is this an mm -hmm. episodic television show? I think it has it both ways, but I do think that one of the things that it does that that was so successful is that its storyline is not altogether that different than Bloodline. You know, it's like it's essentially like a nice location with a family of people, like a group of people who are going through this like reckoning with a crime that mm -hmm. either has or is about to be committed. But where Bloodline was so miserable, like so I, I loved Bloodline, but like it was so like. Norbert Leo Butts doing coke in a in a garage and listening to you know Jackson Brown or Go whatever. On. Yeah, this was like, oh yeah. Also, we have completely like electromagnetic forces in the stars that we have, and at times they were like, you know what? It's enough. It's enough to have Reese Witherspoon drinking a Chardonnay on her deck. Just go at ISO. sunset. Exactly, yeah. and you could just be like, that is for people on a Sunday night watching that, like. A serotonin hit. I also got a cop to my own biases here because what you're talking about, like with Chicklet, like I, I gave True Detective season two so much rope because Colin Farrell doing coke and listening to Jackson Brown and <laughs> as, as a cop with a mustache. I'm like, okay, because I like this. Like this is this mimics entertainment that I generally will give a pass to and enjoy. And then that show did absolutely nothing with it. 
You know, it, it had a genre that I love and it flattened it into literally nothing. Whereas this is sounds a lot more interesting to me because it took something that I would not necessarily choose to engage in and then turn it into something compelling. And, and, I, and I do I was kidding at the beginning, but I do think that's on me for just overlooking it. Yeah. And I'm sort of totally like I have never read any Leanne Moriarty novels. I was kind of. Um, I brought my own biases to it as someone who grew up in a California rich community mm. and was, uh, I have my own set of triggers that I was bringing to the table here. Is, is sipping Chardonnay alone one of them? Yeah. <laughs> because you flinched when Chris said that. I could tell. Um, but to your earlier point about the star power, I mean, what I couldn't believe was they could have Reese projectile vomit and you're still like, your heart breaks she for this character. She red wine. That's really not a bad thing if it's a light body red, like maybe a it's slightly chilled gamay. I think it was a pretty like it was, like it a, was pretty gummy, like a chewy tannic yeah. kind of red. She also mixed that's it with some oysters yeah. and uh, some parenting issues. It just was not <laughs> a great that's, combo. That's a toxic, toxic. <laughs> um, so for you, who will you when when somebody is like in a couple weeks and somebody's like, oh, how's Big Little Lies? Like, why should I watch it? What would you tell them? It's gonna be I would me. Tell by the way, I'm gonna it, ask you that. <laughs> It is addictive and fun in a way that a lot of uh, top-billed television forgets to be right now. Yeah. Uh, most importantly, it is over in seven episodes. <laughs> and John Mark Vallee. You sound so beleaguered. <laughs> no, but 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 I I that complaint is not just a professional complaint. Like I think that you're, when Allison, you're talking about people saying, "Oh, it's another thing to add to the list." People want to know the commitment. Yeah. They want to know. Yeah. They want like if I get into this, how many seasons do I have to watch to catch up? How much time am I committing in the future? I mean, people. It was, how it, long do I have to watch it, before a quote unquote gets good? This is the thing that I'm sure you experienced too. I, when I would when I was a critic, I would say that like I felt more like a wealth management consultant, where people were like, "I have 60 hours. How do I invest it?" Yeah. And they did not want to be steered wrong, and they're very serious about that. So being told that it's these are these are buzzwords that I hope people are paying attention told, like, to. It gets good in season two. You don't want that. It's like yeah, you wait, just wait till this happens. Do yeah. I have to watch the first Do season? I have to. Right. Yeah. But instead, you're like seven hours and it's fun. Yeah. Okay. Easy. Um, it was interesting because then the uh, you know the inside the episode that comes on after the after the episode is like David E. Kelly kind of is like well it's got resolution but you know that last shot because the last shot is sort of the detective who initially had sort of happened upon the crime yeah. watching all of them sort of gallivanting together on the beach you know and like happiness and he's like but there's like that one little thread of possible like this story is not over but then in every interview Jean-Marc Vallée has been like fuck nope. no I'm done <laughs> mostly because he the, the last episode is all at night and it's all set at this party yeah. and he's like we shot for 10 days from 8pm to 6am <laughs> that was shot at wow. the park at the end of my block it was so weird being like I, that's actually the entrance to an art gallery is that Barnes Hall? Like, like, yeah, that? that was Barnes Hall Art Park. It's at the top of a hill in Los That's Angeles. Wild. Movie magic, man. I'm telling you, this is the land of dreams. Okay, Allison, Big Little Eyes is over. Uh, what should our listeners just be psyched about right now? What what either has just begun that they can catch up with? I think we we probably, the three of us, know the answer to this, but, but, but I'm just curious what you're... Well, my weekend was taken up by a very particular kind of television event, uh, which is... A lot of show, great shows took a hiatus in uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. Leftovers, obviously. Master of None were waiting to come back. Mm-hmm. But there is an animated show on Adult Swim <laughs> by Dan Harmon called Rick and Morty oh, yeah. that has a very small or, or very passionate, relatively small fan base. And as an anti-April Fool's joke, they just Beyonce dropped it on okay. Saturday night um, where, like, the official account and a few writers and creators just tweeted like, hey, this is playing on Adult Swim 
until midnight go. And then uh, you could tune into the uh, online stream, which is what I did, and it was just playing at a constant loop. In a loop. And Dan Harmon, I think, is one of the smartest and best screenwriters, just obviously on a joke for joke level, but also on a structural level. And one of the nice parts of having a loop like that was like, I watched it the first time through, I watched it a second time, and then I would just kind of like come back and watch like two so or like three how, minute increments. How many episodes were there? So there was just one, and they've teased that the rest are coming back, um, which is almost good because it means that you now have until an unspecified date later in the summer to catch up on the first two seasons, which I think total up to maybe 18 episodes, yeah. and they're like 20 minutes each. It is so smart. If you're missing BoJack Horseman, which I think also comes back later in the summer, that's the very obvious analog to it. But it's we just spent so much time talking about how fun Big Little Lies is compared to most sure. quote unquote smart TV, and that is exactly the itch the show scratches to me. Even though they're could they could not be more different. But I, I like Rick and Morty. Yeah, I got to say Rick and Morty is really good. Rick and Morty also does not have the BoJack Horseman problem, which is people telling you, "Oh, it gets really good after the fourth or fifth episode." <laughs> yeah, right a cartoon away. shouldn't do that. Cartoon, get it together. I would say be good from uh, the beginning for folks listening. If you have. Um, been dragging your feet on watching Leftover Season 2 and feel like you need to do that, get it done. Yes. Because Leftover Season 3 is coming and just based on what we've seen is incredible. It's so good. Yeah, I ignored the very obvious answer there to do my gratuitous plug. No, it's good. It's good to I'm have variety. extremely excited for The Leftovers. You don't have to watch the first season. Yeah. You could. You, you might could. like it. But I am among the few, the proud, The Leftover Season 1 stands. I advocate that it is worth your time, but if you do the Andy and watch one episode and decide it's not your thing, go to Season just 2. Just go to Season 2, yeah. man. Just relax and just do it. You'll get the gist, and it's, I think, and we'll be talking about this a bunch, um, including with a special guest in the next month, but like that is a show where they just turn the lights on like all of a sudden they just calibrated it by like 10 degrees and they figured it out and season three is what we've seen of it so far is stunning uh all right allison thank you so much for joining us we'll be back in just a sec with mike levin from trial and error thank you so much for having me We've all taken jobs to earn a little extra cash. Back in the day, I was a lifeguard. I worked at record stores. I worked at a, as a barback, Andy, and that my primary role was to cut limes. Yeah. Yeah, that was that, fun. That's not even a metaphor. I've got a better way uh, for you to earn extra money on the side. It's so much easier than cutting limes thanks to Uber. Uber's ultimate side hustle. Driving with Uber is a new way you can earn extra cash whenever you want. It's not just another J-O-B. It's a totally flexible way to earn. You can turn it on and off just like your car. And if you have a few spare hours here and there, drive with Uber. Uber. Have you ever wanted to be your own boss? I bet you'd make a great boss. Drive with Uber and you are your own boss. If you're driving right now, you should be earning right now. I'd do it if I didn't have to record podcasts all the time. Every day is payday when you drive with Uber because you can cash out with instant pay. With access to instant pay, you cash out your earnings up to five times a day with no minimum amount required. Listen, if you enjoy earning extra cash, if there's something special you'd like to buy yourself, maybe another car, you can turn your car into money. So go ahead, get your side hustle on. Sign up to drive with Uber today. Go to uber.com slash drive now. That's uber.com slash drive now. U-B-E-R dot com slash drive now. 
Thanks also to the AV Club for sponsoring today's pod. Listen to this. Have you ever been on a website and thought, this seems good, but what if it were a television show instead? Well, you're in luck. Since 1993, the AV Club has produced some of the best pop culture writing on the internet. And now, after 20 years of talking about TV, things are coming full circle for the folks at AV Club. They are getting their own TV show. Hosted by longtime AV Club editor John Teddy, the AV Club is a weekly deep dive that invites everyone from fanatics to casual observers alike to look closer and laugh more at every corner of pop culture, from TV to movies to music to games and beyond. So get your snack of choice and turn on Fusion TV to catch the AV Club hosted by John Teddy at Thursdays, 9 Eastern. Be sure to visit fusion.net slash where to watch for details. We're back, and we are joined, Andy, by, um, man, Philly's in the house today. Finally. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts is The Rights to Ricky Sanchez, hosted by Spike Eskin, and our guest, Mike Levin. Uh, Mike is a television writer. He's worked on How I Met Your Mother, The Grinder, and now NBC's Trial and Error. His episode of Trial and Error is airing on Tuesday night. Oh, nice. Yeah. Synchronicity. <laughs> That's right. It's almost like you're doing promo. And we're so like happy to terrific. have Mike here today. What's up, Mike? What's up, guys? Um, to say that, like, rights to Ricky Sanchez is is a, like a Philadelphia sports staple is sort of like saying Dianetics is important to Scientology. <laughs> Ow. Yeah. But uh, so it's really uh, very... Is, is it also hokum? Or is it? No, because that could go two ways. <laughs> I don't know. It does. It does suggest a cultish nature a to little. it. And both are dramatic. Yes. And we could get to some some Rashawn Holmes talk a little yes, bit later. Big rich. And maybe even some Philly stock. But first, we wanted to talk a little bit about TV writing because Mike has been working on shows for a while. And um, for people who don't know, can you talk a little bit about what Trial and Error is about? Yeah. Uh, so it's like a send up of those. True crime shows, like a Making a Murderer mm -hmm. and uh, the Jinx, Serial, all those things that have been very like self-serious and dramatic over the past few years. And so Jeff Astroff, who created the show with Matt Miller, uh, they were like, this is funny. This is like the documentary The Staircase is really what, yeah. what like spawned it initially. That's what the first season is kind of based on a little bit. Um, so if you tweak it like 10%, it's just a straight up comedy. Um, and so that's what we we did that. So it's about this guy who plays by Nick DeGusto, who's the lawyer, comes down from New York to that's uh, Masters of Sex, is Nick. That's DeGusto, right, Masters right? of Sex, and then Heroes, original Heroes. Was uh, he Nick DeGusto? Yeah, he played a guy named West. Wow, was he a hero? He was like a second season hero, like when it started getting oh, okay. a little bit too heroy. Yeah, when there are too many heroes. That's a pretty nice CV. Yeah. yeah, he's got a good one. Yeah, he's a really sweet guy. Uh, so he comes down from New York, almost like a My Cousin Vinny esque, come down to New York to yeah. the South. Uh, culture shock to defend John Lithgow's character named Larry Henderson, who was accused of murdering his wife. A lot of laughs. Um, I was wondering about like when you guys are trying to like when you're doing something that's like a parody slash send up of something. Have you ever worked on something like I know that Grinder had law law TV tropes, mm -hmm. um, but this is obviously a very specific targeted thing. Um, do you guys have like a set of rules that you have to abide by in the writer's room when you're doing that? Like, are there tropes from those kinds of staircase type shows that you're like, we want to make sure like we're honoring this and hitting that or whatever? Definitely. We had a, uh, like a list. So there's whiteboards. Yeah. If you're familiar with like the idea I, of I know a writer's room. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I talked. I let him know. You know the whiteboards? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, 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 I just let him inside. And, to yeah. the, I don't the actually have a WGA card, but I like to go to the museum and just <laughs> check out some of the memorabilia. Yeah. From I'm just going to pull it out so you can see that I have one right in my wallet. Just here. And I'll leave that there. Do you want to do a little strike talk? Yeah. Can we talk some strike talk? I was at the captain's meeting the other day. Were you really? That's right. Not looking good, right? Greenwald, are you going to break the picket? I'm going to scab it up. No, here was my message. Writing scandal. Here was my message to guild leadership. Don't you know I just got here? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. 
Come on. Okay. Paying thousands of dollars in membership. It's now we're going to go test bike? No, it's good. Get out here. Whole family's on the health care. We're, we're, we're getting very underpaid, and I feel. You guys are the front, the, the face of labor. We are. We are. We're, we're going to convince folks. We are nor- collectively, we are Norma Ray. <laughs> you were saying, though, about whiteboards. So, like, yeah, the first day it was let's all the TV tropes or all the documentary tropes of, of those kinds of podcasts, uh, how can we, like, make fun of them, basically? And so we did that. And, like, on Grinder it was, and I was only an assistant on the Grinder, but, and I got, I had an episode, but I was primarily an assistant. Uh, it was, like, what are TV uh, drama tropes yeah. that we can make fun of? Originally, and this didn't, I don't know if this is public or not, but originally all, every name of the Grinder episode, each episode was going to be named after a television drama. So, like, oh. epi- episode two, I think, was, like, Heroes Reborn. It's like every episode is going to be called some other drama that we like make fun of. That's not a gambit that would have worked 15 years ago when there were 800% fewer shows. Yeah, right. Yes. Well, the reason we can't do it is I think you'll appreciate this um, was because legal was like people are going to get confused on their DVR. Oh, when it shows up. So if they DVR like a Heroes Reborn, as many people do. uh, Yeah. (laughs) I just have a standing order for Heroes Reborn. That's right. Thanks to the resurgent career of Nick D'Augusto. Yes. They wanted him back. He was going to come back. He had to come back. He was not reborn. No, he didn't. He's still dead. I want to talk. I do have some Grindr questions. Okay. I was a Grindr fan, but we can, should we we focus on the new show primarily? Whatever, let's run. Um, Designed to be a and first of all, I think this is very smart for comedy, right? So it does not, you could do a different case every season. Every year, yeah. So it's like The Good Place, another NBC show. I think it's a really smart response to the increased serialization of TV and the mm-hmm. way people engage with TV, mm-hmm. where you could be like an anthology series for comedy, yeah. right? Um, so you wrote the whole season and then went into production. How did, how did it work for you guys? It was very standard. I've only worked in... Really only worked in network television, right. so it really is like in tandem. Like right. it's you're not, the, it's the not writing the staff model. starts and in, in like you have two months of prep or right. so, and then production starts as you're like breaking the rest of the season, and it's sort of like all, all the departments are rolling at once. Did that give you a, a chance to be involved in production in a different way? Like you have your episode coming up this mm-hmm. week, where you on set for it? What was that like? Yeah, yeah, you uh, all the writers would be on set for their own episode. Did so they shoot it out here? Like, yeah, everything oh. shot. Everything shot out here. We shoot at Warner Brothers. Great. Um, so there was Jeff actually wrote it for like the Warner Brothers lot. Oh, that's so, like, cool. That, Chris, like, this is the Dream Factory out here. That's right. <laughs> yeah. that, the, I thought the Dream Factory is Vancouver. Sound stages can be anything. <laughs> yeah, I thought you had to go to Vancouver to shoot anything or Atlanta. Anyway. Yeah. So what was your what was your experience like making this episode? Uh, Tell us about this episode. It was cool. Well, so so the, it's weird because we're the second episode up tonight yeah. or tomorrow night whenever this is coming out right yeah. they're, they're um, doing two, two so it's two at a time this is the idea is like it's like a bingeable thing sure. NBC uh, which I think is cool of them to be like people watch TV differently yeah overnight ratings don't matter anymore except when they do yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is like let's just throw them out there have people catch up DVR NBC.com Hulu whatever all the episodes are up right now uh, and so it's like, let's just do it all together. So I don't want to, like, spoil what happens in episode seven right. when episode eight is right here. But I can talk generally. Um, we I wrote it with uh, the two other staff writers. One is my writing partner, Patrick Kang, and the other is uh, another staff writer named Cassia Miller. And so we just uh, – it was sort of – like a just a, it's a very collaborative process, you know. I mean, everybody does. Chris the, doesn't know though. Chris doesn't know. No, we got to spell that. Let me look at Chris. I'm more like one. a novelist. Yeah, yeah. Like isolate yourself. Chris in a room. is a big believer in auteur theory. Yeah, yeah. and uh, well, he doesn't know what it's like in the trenches I, with us union men. That's right. I, as the lowest level staff writer, feel like an auteur. Uh, no, it's a joke. Um, <laughs> it uh, so yeah, so you, you sort of, we sort of broke it and then took it to the room and they were like, let's make it better and change it up. And so we wrote a first draft and then we 
wrote it in the room and did changed it up. It's all the the whole process, you Can guys. You, you know, because we often will assign credit or blame to uh, the success or failure of a television show to showrunners or directors or actors or whatever. And, Mike, I don't do that. And uh, I appreciate you know, that. I appreciate and that. it's it's an incredibly collaborative process, right? You you yeah. mentioned just like you know I'm in a certain level on the to- totem pole in the writers room. It's not barely even on the totem. Yeah, pole. you're like holding the totem yeah. pole. He, he doesn't have the wings. <laughs> no, yeah. he doesn't no. have the eagle wings. No, no, but no. like for can you tell us a little bit about like how does a network comedy writer's room like what is like the like mechanics of that like is there a head writer and you guys are like what if they did this what if he said this this yeah. would be funny it would be we should do a bit like this and this guy's kind of like collating all that and then shapes it or how does it work to, to just make a 22 minute episode of television so i've worked on a few different shows and so sometimes the showrunner comes in and says like i have a total vision for what's going to happen for this season or for this episode or for be, whatever it is. Whatever That's what Chris do. is like on the podcast. Yeah, yeah like, I feel that. Yeah. I sense it. You, all these things that I'm saying that you wrote down for me. Uh, <laughs> and other times it's like, hey, what do you, and, or, or they have something and it's like, Another idea comes out and it's okay. Well, that's better. Let's let's shoot for that instead. So I think there's an idea. There's a general thought. Like I worked on the last few seasons of How I Met Your Mother, right. and it was very like here's we know like the last because they had all few like episodes these are plot be. points that they had to like, right right. right. We had like things that we had to tie up and yeah. stuff. So like the mother, sure, that's right there in the title. They, they yeah, Mike, was that was that your suggestion? Yeah, like, I was guys, like, <laughs> she should meet. They should meet. <laughs> I feel like I've been sold a bill of goods here. If this whole time, it'd be cool to see yeah. them meet, right? Um, and we should show how. How that how it happened? <laughs> Chin stroke. Uh, but yeah, so sometimes it's like that. Sometimes it's you know different ideas. It's hey, we don't know what this. You know, we know the beginning and the end. What's the middle? Where are some arcs and stuff. And so the the way trial and error worked was. Uh, we tried to arrange it based on like what was the drop at the end of each episode to like push us into the next episode, and that was like a cool, a cool way of thinking about like how oh, the yeah. season is going to happen. Kind of like, like the way like a like a crime podcast yeah. works, where like yeah. an S town, like yeah, we like an S discussing, yeah. yeah. Um, Question about the show. Um, John Lithgow is your star. Yeah. Was he in character as Winston Churchill when not on camera? Like, how <laughs> much was he just big-timing everyone and just, like, talking about how he dunked on British people? <laughs> not at all. Well, you're spoiling a little bit in terms of dunked on because there is – John Lithgow does play basketball in t- tomorrow's episode of Trial and Error. Wow. That's a – you didn't even know that you were promoting it. <laughs> I, I appreciate had no that idea, but I trusted your process. Is it, yeah, this is right. like your uh, – Thank you for saying that. Like you're it, like for like the great burglars of the world, like they leave a little signature behind, like the, the night fox in Ocean's Twelve. <laughs> sure. This is you, like you're gonna put basketball in all of your great it, episodes. It so wasn't my call. This is absolutely <laughs> tough, and it was one of those things where like he he said, and we'll do this basketball scene or whatever, and I just like everyone kind of looked at, or like at least the people that know that I have a basketball podcast and a basketball blog were like, oh fuck this guy. <laughs> uh, so I felt like I, so I get to be on set like we we like okay so the thing I'm most proud of is you see these TV shows the Fresh Prince is the one that comes to mind the most that has like basketball in the show yeah specifically comedy there's been a couple ones like high school basketball whatever and it always looks like total trash even Atlanta which is a great show had some awful uh, you basketball may not know this it. but Chris is personally the ombudsman of fictional basketball. Primarily a Mr. Robot critic, but okay. I, I have dabbled in Atlanta as Anytime well. there's pickup basketball in the game, Chris, just, yeah. don't they know the game has changed? I feel the like European the whole influence. twist That's of right. Mr. Robot season two is predicated on the idea that like, we have to save this basketball scene. Why aren't you playing four, four out, one in? <laughs> like, I think that doing? was the giveaway. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Chris was onto it before anyone else in Mr. Robot there's season no two. There's no way. Because you're just like, That's just not how the game is played. Yeah. That's just not how it works. Um, so, so we got to do, well, we got to, so we got to make they shot in the back of this building. There was like a parking lot. And so they built a basketball court 
and it looks great. And yeah. it's cool. And, and it's all for this one episode. It's all this one episode. Just efficient use. Efficient <laughs> use of a basketball. <laughs> it was, it was, it was Thank really, you, Batman. It was <laughs> incredible. Seriously, just to see Lithgow dunk on people. That's right. So the whole the whole like crew is setting up for the shot and like getting ready for everything. And me and my writing partner, Pat, were just playing ball. So you, was, you, you said go really have, does he have hops? How, how is he? Is he? He's... Um, Give, what is his? What is? Who would you compare him to? Okay, in the modern he's day? still yeah. recovering from a Jones fracture, though. I think he's he's, he's That's a big, very familiar to me. Yes, he's a big like a, you know screen setter. I think like a Jason Collins maybe. Yeah, the, like the lower body, like he uses it effectively. Yeah, like, really. Gets, it's, 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 his like his pivot foot on the roll is really tight. <laughs> okay, I would say. Uh, but yeah, he got it. He was it was like an exciting. He had to make a shot, so it was an exciting. Like everyone's watching him make a shot, and all these extras are there. And so he was excited about it. It was like, like, it was like, like where's Juilliard now, now, bitch? That's Come right. on. Um, you know, one of the things that I've, I've found ever since I moved out here is when I meet other TV writers is that they... Like me? Yeah. That they, like you. Like, nice, nice to meet you. You're going to see why. <laughs> is that they... Uh, Either, they watch TV differently than, like, say, the the TV fan industrial complex, TV critic fan. Like, whereas, like, they're, you know, there's this attitude where, like, I think people are very voracious television watchers and that they're all checking off these boxes that they feel like they need to hit of, like, these key shows. Um, but the TV writers, like, will be a little bit more mercurial about, like, what they're watching or, like, they'll have stuff that will be like, well, it's my job, so I don't really want to watch right. TV. But you're you're a pretty big fan of stuff. Inside the writer's room, are you guys, like, referencing other shows that you like? Constantly. Or, constantly. Yeah, like, uh, I wouldn't say not as not as much comedy because comedy does feel like a – feels more like the work yeah. that you're doing. So, like, you know, you see the act break coming or you see the joke that they're, like, winding up to, to do. So – Drama for us was good. Like the night of when yeah. it came out was very like we had to watch that and then talk about it the next day because that was, you know, we were sort of riffing on that genre also. Sure. Um, I mean, everybody watched Game of Thrones, obviously. You guys, do you guys watch Game of Thrones? Sometimes. Not anymore. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I only read the books now. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a new uh, me in 2017. That's good. No, it's, uh, so I think, I think it's a lot of reality like a bachelor for sure it's it comedy does uh, you know not speaking for all comedy writers right. and everybody but uh it to me at least feels like it's a lot of work rather than where i can just tune out and actually like enjoy uh an arc i love an arc yeah i would also say that just even in my in my limited experience like it's the shared language so when you're build, trying to build a story it's, it can be very abstract if you want to talk about like what someone's intention mm-hmm. is or whatever because you're not writing a script yet if you're not at that stage you're yeah. just trying to build use the building blocks of story, the shared language is movies and TV that you've seen. Yeah, yeah so, I think I, I'm that's why really everything basing feels so this on like a time. sample size of yeah. one conversation I had with another TV writer where I was like... I can't believe you're cheating on me. Oh, yeah. Um, like, you must like Stranger Things, right? Because like, and this was like when Stranger Things was yeah. just running the block. And yeah. they were just like, what? what is Stranger Things? <laughs> Let me be clear, though. I have found no more device... I, for me, that it's like the pH balance test of whether people work in television... Um, particularly as a, like on a higher level, like mm-hmm. as a um, showrunner level or yeah. a fan, is Stranger Things they, the because people in TV don't people like in TV that I've spoken to, I'm not naming names, hate it, hate it, and I think a lot of that is because they're they're like, well, this was my childhood too. I I should have done that. Mm-hmm. I do think that's a large part of it, um, but it's also because the reasons we were championing Stranger Things on the podcast, yeah. why I still ride for it, is because it's really entertaining. Yeah, it was purely entertaining, and I was able to just shut off all the other parts and be like, I'm enjoying this. What a pleasure it is to watch the show. Yeah. We didn't get into it in like, did that make sense? Right. Did that was that earned? No, it was it was a pure, purely pleasurable experience. And I think for the people in the minds, they don't want that. I think the I like saying our room, I think pretty much universally likes Stranger Things. And I and I, I think it's a 
comedy drama thing because yeah. comedy just generally you can get away with like yeah that works drama it's it needs yeah. to be thought of more because there's not jokes to buoy it as like an entertaining sure thing although there should be then there drama would be. be better i think so <laughs> i like like dramas that have jokes are great fargo is the, great the, better call saul the best dramas in history are often the funniest mad Absolutely. men funnier than most comedies Absolutely. friday night lights even like some some funny shows that are dramas I'm trying to think of one and I can't. Dead, right. Deadwood's pretty funny. Deadwood's, <laughs> Deadwood's, <laughs> Deadwood's hilarious. <laughs> even, but, the, even the wire had. Yeah, the wire was funny. Absolutely. Some, yeah. some lines. The, the Sopranos scene? was hilarious. Yeah. In parts. Right? Yeah. So strange things for me was I there were, you know, a couple things that I, you know, but the the tone really was what yeah. what like drew me in and people that are like upset that, hey, watch other 80s movies. So you've you been, it. it's like, come on. You've yeah, been in, in writer's room starting with How I Met Your Mother where you were working as an assistant yeah. and you, you kind of – did you move into like sort of the more regular staff of that show towards the end of it or is it you were working as an assistant the entire time? Yeah, I, so I started uh, How I Met Your Mother season eight, which was the second to last season as a PA. Okay. So like driving around scripts to like uh, Josh Radner's house. Cool. Leaving it at his door. How's he living? Pretty well, right? He's good, yeah. That's good. Good. There's like a lot, there were a few too many spiders like around his house, so I like I like threw the script. He was, lived like, in a spider's <laughs> den. A spider's den, yeah. <laughs> How could you, you could tell that you just by dropping? We, we a are breaking could, Hollywood I gossip. Sure, I for wow. sure could. Uh, it was more like. I mean, basically, needs, I'm imagining this like in the like in Lord of the Rings when the spider oh. wraps the dude up. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm picturing that. weirdly Charlotte's Web. I'm oh. picturing him in a cartoon from our childhood, just curled up. Delivering uh, advice and wisdom to I a think, uh, pig. I think people think of Josh Radner as a soft person, mm. so he's like, "I'm going to have spiders outside yes. my house." Yes. So people think I'm like harder and tougher. Yeah. Well, it's changed my. So I've done a 180 on him. There you go. But you've been working on the on network sitcoms uh, for f- five or six, five years now. Yeah, three, yeah, four, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, you know that that time has seen. You've actually been on the front lines or like witnessed like this huge explosion and the amount of shows that are getting made and the different amount, places that they're getting made. Um, have you noticed a change in attitude? Because it seems like you've worked on some pretty formally inventive shows, mm-hmm. either by choice or by happenstance with like Grindr did a lot of like winking stuff to, towards like blowing up like what it was. That they were like mm-hmm. kind of like lampooning and, and the same goes for trial and error and how i mm-hmm. met your mother had like in a lot of ways like a lost like plot to it which mm-hmm. is like very like complicated narrative gymnastics but is it, does it do you feel like that there's actually it's like a misnomer and that network shows are just as formally inventive as anything that's like say on fx or or um you know on straight straight to netflix or anything like that or is it something where you feel like the networks are sort of trying to adapt to different changing viewing tastes I think it's a little both. I think they're definitely trying to adapt. Um, I know that they're always looking for like a framing device of like, okay, so here's the show. We have to give it to people in like a palatable way, but also like, what's the hook? And so, how many mother was always and every like network executives are talking. It's like, what's the hook that's gonna like grab them if it's like the mother? I'm right. telling the story, so that kind of thing. Um, it's like Friends with a mystery. It has yeah. like that thing on yeah, top yeah, of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so, I, but they still they're still tradi- very traditional shows on network that like I think they just like a mix of stuff. Uh, for you, is it more fun? I mean, like, I because I don't want to incriminate you by, but like, no, would you be able to like just like write on a "That's my wife" kind of show, or do you kind of need like that extra level of stimulation of like there's something like more creative happening on it? I need I need like a job, yeah, primarily. <laughs> um, but it is cool to be on like Trial and Error was really cool to be pitching jokes for because it's such a different show. Yeah, it's such a you know it's a it's a big swing for a network comedy of like we thought we were worried we would get a lot of you know, accusals of 
is is spousal abuse funny? And right. like we clearly don't think it's funny. Right. Uh, but it's you know, it's a send up of those kinds of, of shows, shows. That, that take themselves seriously more like that. But that's just. But uh, it was cool to work on this because you're pitching jokes like, you know, what about the town? Parks and Recish in terms of what the town is like, and and Larry jokes about, you know saying the wrong thing by accident, like those kinds of things. It's fun rather than not to say anything bad about family shows, but there's there's stakes to it. There's like yeah. stakes built in, whereas on family shows, it's like they're going to be a family at the end of the That's day. That's like the whole point is that you can just spend mm-hmm. like 10 years with this family as right. they grow up. Yeah. I, I did want to talk about The Grinder briefly because that was a very good show, yeah. a very entertaining show, a lot of fun, um, and got better as it went along, like all comedies primed to succeed mm-hmm. do. Um Pilot was very promising, one of the best of the year. But then by the end of the season, it was really hitting its stride into what as to what it was and what it could be. We also did that serialized, like back nine. The back nine was like a serialized <laughs> right. sort of thing. And it got canceled. Now, mm-hmm. this was very surprising for a lot of people. And I want to ask about how surprising it was to you. I know that um, Natalie Morales, who was on the show, friend of the pod, likes to talk about the Americans with me when <laughs> Chris isn't around. I love the Americans. Was Great show. Seemed truly shocked, even though all of her shows get canceled, and she even snuck onto the lot in a very funny series of videos mm-hmm. about it. Um, one of the hallmarks of this age of television is that things don't really seem to get canceled, and yet this did. Were you surprised? Was was the writing staff surprised? And what was that like on the inside? The the ratings were bad for as much as <laughs> listen. You yourself just said those words. Well, yes, they for don't as much matter as they unless say, they do. Right. So they'll say like, no, we don't care, we don't care, we don't care, and then they, you know, they take it to their investors or whoever and say like, well, those ratings are bad. They didn't. It was on Fox. Mm-hmm. Did Fox own the show? Yeah, it was twentieth for Fox. Yeah. Then what are they doing? Why? Because I guess it was expensive. You have a big star. Yeah, and there were a bunch of EPs. Sure. Okay. My my salary was eating that up too. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Well, all, all the mm-hmm. spider you proofing. Had the, the, the Ricky right. Max extension. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> it was, I was due for it. So. You, it sounds like, and from the look on your face, that some of the writing may have been on the wall. It was not a total surprise. It was not a total surprise. No, I think because we were getting like point sixes by the end of it. Um, the showrunner that's, that's in the share. I it's, believe. Yeah, it's, yeah, the showrunner explaining to Chris making history is was a writer on Griner. This guy Goldie, and uh, we got like a point seven for the. I wrote, I co-wrote one of the episodes. Um, in the back nine, so it was a point seven. So I, I became known as point seven Lev uh, by the end of it, which is nice. Uh, but yeah, it was it was just one of those like not enough people are watching it, and then people think it's cool on Twitter, but like that's just not a representative sample of. Are you of saying what Twitter happens. doesn't represent I think real I, life? I think I'm ready to say that. I've been weighing back and forth, and I think that's. We're breaking. But you could probably feel like you're in like a little bit of like an echo chamber where like if For people sure. are like, "This is a really good show," and like I yeah. think generally like like Griner got like really good and like feedback. cool cool folks but, like yeah it. right. But that's the world we're in now, where it does it, it is a shock because it does seem like that is enough because there are plenty of examples of shows that you just don't understand who's watching it when right. they're watching it or why. Right. But it's a network situation, a studio situation, a money situation where. That doesn't matter, you know, where having the right people watch it is more important than having people watch it. Right. But network is broadcast networks don't really exist in that world yet. Yeah, I think if it was like, yeah, if it was on a different network, I think it probably they probably give it another year. Um, I don't know. There's been, you know. You've resurrected Kevin Arnold, man. You brought him back. Back he's in front great. of the camera. He's really great. Fun. He, Fred Savage is like a really good TV director, too. Yeah, he's he directing did, a, a he, pilot, my friends, he, too. He didn't have to be in front of the camera, but he did. Yeah. Grinders, good show. Um, before we let show. you go, I wanted to just check in on what you're watching right now. Oh, okay. Um, 
Well, girls coming yeah. down to the did end. Did you watch the last night's girls? I did watch the last night's girls. I don't want to spoil it for Andy. Did you? I, I watched half of it before I had to drive home and back again <laughs> for this podcast. Um, how did you? We could t- this, this is this isn't. D- does she get more popsicles in the second half of the episode? Yeah, like that's the she decides to quit writing and become a popsicle a bodega worker who sells popsicles. They she tries that. to eat them all at once. Um, they telegraph that. Gets crazy. How did you feel about the? The way that the show is is wrapping up, and the fact that that they brought Adam back so heavy in there, even even if, if it's kind of a fake out. Um, he just spoiled the fake out for him. Uh, it's it's such a, like an impactful show. For as my you know, as you take off like your cynical hat for a second, and it's a nice hat. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> he didn't take it off. No, <laughs> this is an audio medium. He's still wearing it. Uh, I think it's 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 a show that's meant a lot to a lot of people um, that maybe weren't didn't have a show like for them yeah. before. Um, and so I thought I always watched like the girls is an interesting show for me. Cause I, I like it when I watch it and then, I'm, but I'm like I a couple, I have a couple issues here and there. I don't know if people would talk like that or this, whatever. And then I watch the, after the yeah, show, the, bo- the after the, the girls. talk about yeah. it, and then and we then were like, up for that. By the way, <laughs> you guys were up for after yeah, the girls. We, we read for it. <laughs> post girls. We were up for post girls. There were some problems with yeah, our interpretation sure. material. I feel that. And then I like like it more. Yeah, I like it more after a discussion and after be like, oh, this is what they were going for. This really, it's a really smart way to do it. Right. And and so most shows, it's the opposite. Where I'll be, I'll like it as it's happening and think about it. Be like, oh, refrigerator logic that doesn't really make any sense. Um, but I think like I think it always had. They're always you know in terms of like wrapping something up. We're having worked on a show that went for nine years and how my mother and yeah. people wanting like characters to come back and resolution Want different for pairings things. and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. People belong together. Right, yeah. right, right. You know, the show just went on for nine years. So like the the Robin and Ted and then the Robin and Barney. So it was like how people were people are gonna be disappointed no yeah, matter right. what. There's that's the thing, is that like I think in a people look at the internet and Twitter as like a big monolith and you know, it's not. Yeah. People want so there's going to be half people that are mad about this or half people mad about something else. So you kind of just got to be like, look, we're going to do our own thing. I'm going to make myself happy and and go for this. Yeah, I think the thing, I mean, one of the reasons why people love TV in general is because while it's ongoing, when it's open-ended, it can be anything. And you can be invested in your own version of the show and the relationships you want to see and the things that you think you, that you think the show is about. And then a final season is about the showrunner, the people in charge, putting down their cards and being like, no, this is what the show is about. Yeah. This is what I want it to be. And that breaks people's hearts. It gets yeah. them pissed off no matter what, no matter what. It's almost like, and if we could make this about the NBA for a second, which <laughs> I, mean, I can't I've been believe it took me that. this long. It's almost like, hey, a draft, the number three draft pick is always really great. Like, we have the third pick. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. I can't wait. When that pick is Jaleel Okafor, right. that start, the, I'm not familiar with this Finally, work. yeah, the, the, your cards finally get set down. It's like, oh, that's what it is? Yeah. Uh, so I don't spend, like, like this so whole year waiting for this thing. The that promise. Actually, yeah, the, right. promise the promise is always better. The promise is always better. Hope of like it all it's, it's all working out you could say that i think maybe with even the republican party right now wow <laughs> i'm taking it everywhere yeah. guys it's for me it's like it's the excitement of going 101 over the ben franklin bridge but yeah. the disappointment of getting pulled over for it. You know <laughs> right. it's like there's a moment where you're like i'm gonna get i'm gonna get away with this i'm just i'm just gonna I'm, so I'm gonna fly last time i was going over the ben franklin there was like a weird thing where i was driving and then like the lane i was in there was all of a sudden like concrete blocks mm-hmm. where they were just like this lane doesn't exist anymore so i don't think i would have been successful going one one. can we briefly segue because obviously we would like to, to do a philly sports conversation i feel like the listeners of the watch might not be as invested happy in opening day by the way guys happy very excited day. let's hope that cincinnati's weather holds um i do wonder because for people who don't know this um 
being a fan of the Philadelphia 76ers for the last few years mm -hmm. has resembled being a fan of a scrappy situational comedy in many ways. <laughs> the fans have had to come up with their own theories, mm -hmm. um, invest their own narratives, mm -hmm. um, raise up supporting characters and superstars. Mm -hmm. And there's a let's put it that there's a lot of fiction involved in it and a lot of a lot of magical thinking. You and Spike have been at the forefront of that, for which we thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I guess how much it, it's not even a question because what I'm trying to get at is I feel like you have been able to use the creative parts of your brain in a pursuit that might otherwise just be pure fandom. Well, yeah. it's almost like yeah, sports fair? fandom, it, it, and, and you're, you, especially for teams that are bad. You guys, one of the things you did, you guys did on the pod is create an entire subculture around a team that was like dead on its feet in a right. lot of ways. It, it was you, so gave, you gave a lot of people a reason to care about yeah, it. Yeah, it was know? so fun to be a Sixers fan thanks to the work you guys did because you gave me things to think about and care about and to mm -hmm. laugh about. And you also freed me from actually watching the terrible <laughs> Yeah, games. yeah. I never had to. Um, so You're thank welcome. you for that. And yeah. my wife thanks you for that. And yet I feel very invested in the team. It's... I think the most interesting story in sports the past like decade of is obviously a flashier story is Durant going to the Warriors, but it's such a weird situation where people are people that even like weren't basketball fans that are just like numbers guys or like socialists yeah. are like jumping on. Did you see that? There's like a Deadspin article about yeah. social. It's like it's a weird not. It's thinking about sports in a way that's like not sports so much like i you can you can be a huge fan of the sixers you can know so much about them and like have never watched a minute of the last five years of basketball because it's it's worthless it's just you're you're, you're building with the blocks that you have and the games have been totally immaterial to yeah. what's actually happening right can i um use this moment on our podcast to share a sixer story Please. that spike wanted me to share with you guys and i kind of just want to spite him and tell it here. Also prove that he's going to listen and hear this. Um, that uh, last summer, right before I moved out here, okay. I went to a Phillies game with my older daughter and, and my father in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I had heard that maybe uh, some Sixers players lived in my parents' building downtown. Oh. But I had not seen them. My parents had just spoke of very tall men in yellow. <laughs> and they're not tall people. So it really so could have been It could have been like me. It yeah. been, it's very possible. Um, we returned from the tall game. All are basketball players. I, I imagine so. They're better than it's I am. We, I, we returned from, from Citizens Bank Park on uh, via SEPTA. And, um, SEPTA plug. And uh, why not? And uh, came back to the building. My father went up to the apartment. Uh, we were leaving. My daughter had fallen asleep on the train. I'm holding her in my arms. Uh, completely spread across me. She's not a, she was three years old. Not a small child. And from a distance, as I'm waiting there, I see a, a, a mountain approaching. <laughs> Dare I say a man mountain approaching. Mm -hmm. And he's with a much smaller man, so this disparity is very extreme. And I'm like, I, that's that's Joel Embiid. There he is. Walking. He, he lives, first of all, walking. Second, living in my parents' building. Uh -huh. uh, as he approaches, I'm just in awe. I'm like, what am I going to do here? I see him. Uh, do you watch Game of Thrones? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You might recognize me from. How'd you feel about what happened to Sansa? I feel like it was a little gratuitous. Uh, I see him hug the smaller man. The, mm -hmm. younger, the smaller man says, say hi to your family for me. Love you. Talk to you soon. That man gets into an Escalade. That man is Sam Hinkie. They've just shared a private friendship, a lunch. Amazing. Uh, and then Joel Embiid turns his attention to the building. And to me, he does not turn his attention to me, but I'm sure. in his line of sight. Mm -hmm. uh, and all I want to do is say something to him, but I have a child across me. So the only thing I can do, I free one hand and slowly I raise a thumb. <laughs> just a thumbs up. Just an American thumbs up. And he looks at me like I'm a lunatic. Mm -hmm. And why, whose child am I holding? Right. And then I somehow managed to say, 
how are you feeling? I don't know who I am. You've, you've, you've become Duker. like a b- barbershop guy. <laughs> like, hey, 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 JoJo, how you feeling? And he said, good. And I was like, great, good. You know, we're all, and I say, we're all counting on yes. you. <laughs> like, I am a newsie at this point. <laughs> and you know what he said? I know. Yeah. And that was it. Well, he he's handled the pressure well. And it was a very special moment for me. That's a very special moment. And Spike story. wanted me to share it immediately with him <laughs> and social media. And I said, no, let, let JoJo and Sam have their moment. Right. But now, now it belongs to the people. That's a beautiful story. It's very sweet, isn't it? I love that they have a friendship and a relationship. They're very close. Yeah. Um, what network should Sam Hinkie take over? Oh, that'd be fun. Well, he, he, sort of Kevin Riley did that a little bit. Kevin Riley's got some hinky in him, I think. Where he's like, let's <laughs> he's, experiment He's a little hated this. by the yeah. establishment, but it's yeah. there's a little, like, why do we need pilot season? Yeah. Let's experiment with stuff. And now he's having a good good run with TBS. Search that's, Party's very good. Search, I like people over. He's going to trade Conan for good. future picks. He might have to. Yeah. Um, you can listen to Rights for Ricky Sanchez. You subscribe to that podcast. You can watch Mike's episode of Trial and Error on Tuesday at 9.30, but you should watch all of Trial and Error to lead up to that. They are all available on Hulu right now. Hulu, NBC.com. You also worked on a NBC, like a short, like that's like a, like a kind of s- supplementary show about Trial and Error that's like on NBC.com. Yeah, like right? a Dateline-esque kind a of spoof. A Dateline-esque. You can check soon. that out on NBC.com. Follow Mike on Twitter. Listen to his podcast. Thank you so much for coming by. This is great. Hey, thanks again to Fusion TV's The AV Club for sponsoring today's episode. Pop culture is everywhere. According to non-existent studies, it is 83% of the things you consume, even more than oxygen. At the acclaimed pop culture website, The AV Club, it's all they ever want to talk about. And now they're coming to TV. The AV Club, hosted by John Teddy, is a weekly deep dive that illuminates all the fun, strange corners of pop culture. The AV Club airs Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fusion TV. Visit fusion.net slash where to watch for details. Thanks again to Uber for sponsoring us today. Get your side hustle on. Sign up for Uber and earn extra cash whenever you want. It's totally flexible. You're your own boss, and you can cash out up to five times a day with no minimum amount required. Sign up today at uber.com slash drive now. That's U-B-E-R dot com 